Hi Church, thanks for joining us. Currently we're in a series called Strong As, uh, where we look at particular people from the Bible uh, to see how God's worked through them so that we can be inspired and trust God too. Let's head straight to the message. Hey, Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you that we can come together and worship you, God. And God, I just ask that you would help us all, but also me specifically, to never take worship for granted. That it is such an honour to be able to stand in your house and just lift up your name, to praise you, to worship you, to glorify you, God. So we just thank you for who you are, for everything you've done. And we thank you that you are here with us this morning. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Gonna test the uh, get close to the speakers. I can. Come on. Well, good morning, everybody. Who's alive? Yes. yes? Who's not? There's a few hands. All right. Well, for those that don't know me, my name's Walter. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, like the guys mentioned earlier, we're starting our new series, Strong As, which I'm really excited about. And uh, so. The first thing that I did when preparing this message is I went through um, some of the characters of the Bible, trying to look for someone who really exemplified this, this idea of strength. Um, and there's a lot. There's, there's people who are strong in faith. There's people who are strong in mind. There's people who are strong in character. I decided to make it real simple and go for someone strong in strength. And um, didn't take long before I came to Samson. So if you don't know Samson, uh, I'm sure most of you do, he was one of the judges in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges. He helped to lead Israel uh, in the time before they had a king. Um, so before King Saul, King David, King Solomon, etc., uh, they had these judges. And so essentially what that was is it was God kind of raising up someone from, from the community to, to lead his people um, in a time when they weren't really following him, so they needed someone else to lead them. And so, Samson's a really interesting character. He's, um, he makes some interesting choices, and by interesting, I mean crazy wackadoo, because his, his whole life is pretty intense. It's, it's pretty, um, yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens. Um, so definitely, if you, if you get a chance to read through his full story, it's in Judges 14 to 16, um, and it's really interesting. But before we get into all of that, I thought um, we'd just have a look at this idea of strength, because I'm sure all of us have a slightly different idea of what it means to be strong. And so I, I thought, well, if we go through this series and everyone's kind of expecting different things, it might be a bit confusing. So this idea of strength, I mean, some people kind of look at it as the ability to carry a lot, to, to hold a lot, to lift a lot. Um, for others, it's, it's like endurance, having the strength to endure, or, or maybe it's like the strength to withstand something. Maybe like if you're really tough, you might be really strong. You can withstand all this stuff. Um, so yeah, I think it's just interesting to, to think about what we kind of think of when we hear this word strong. What comes to mind for you? Because it's got to be slightly different for everyone. Everyone's got a, a different story. Everyone's had different experiences. So, so even just one word can mean something different to each of us. So I'm going to pray. 
And then we're going to get into it and, and we're just kind of going to have a quick look at what strength means and then we're going to go through Samson's story. Does that sound all right? Yeah. Awesome. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning. God, we invite you to be with us now. Lord, we know you are here, but we invite you anyway. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move through this place today, that you would move on our hearts, move on our minds, that you would speak to us this morning. God, I don't want this word from me to be heard. I want the word from you to be heard. So, so I know that you are speaking to every person in this room. So God, we just ask that your voice would be the louder voice today, that your voice would be the one that is remembered and applied in people's lives. God, we just thank you that you are here. We thank you for everything you're doing. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 So, with this idea of strength, you might have kind of seen this example before, but I wonder if I were to ask you which is stronger, a rock or some flowers, what would you say? Who, hands up for rock. Who thinks a rock is stronger of the two options? Not many. There's a few. Who thinks the flower's stronger? A few more? Okay. Who didn't put their hand up? <laughs> you guys know me too well. All right. Because I like to fool around. I like to trick you. But if we can have that first image up, <clears throat> if you said flower, you were probably thinking of something like this. Um, this is a, a kind of illustration that people use a lot to kind of challenge this idea of strength and what we think of it. Because a, a frequent occurrence in nature is, is that a flower will actually push through the, the concrete or, or the, um, what's the other one? cement or, or rock or stone or whatever it is above it. it. It can actually push through and crack whatever's over top of it to actually come through and, and to grow and to flourish and to find the light. And so a lot of people kind of take this idea and say, so, you know, this, this, the rock isn't necessarily stronger than the flower but the flower actually has the ability to break through. However, <laughs> I, think, I think the rock's okay. <laughs> I'll just double, yeah. No, the rock's fine, actually. That didn't really get affected at all. The flowers, there's some left, but um, someone else will have to clean that up. But <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say here is that we can't really say that strength is simply which one will break first. I think there's more to strength than that. There's more to, to this idea of strong than simply what breaks. That it's actually something deeper going on. So as we explore this story of Samson, I just want to encourage you to, to just have this question in the back of your mind. What is Samson's greatest strength? So just keep that in mind as, as we go through this story. So we're going to get started. Like I said, it, it's found in, in um, Judges 14 to 16, but we're actually going to jump back to Judges 13 for a second, um, where there's this um, record of, of an encounter between Samson's parents and an angel. And um, it's actually quite beautiful, but, but it kind of outlines some expectations, we'll call them, for Samson's life. Uh, which, are, which are really key to keep in mind as, as we explore this story. So if we can have Judges 13, what was it? Two to five up. Brilliant. So a certain man of Zorah named 
Manoah, from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Awesome promise. But he continues, Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So there's this amazing promise that this barren woman is going to give birth to a son, but there's some, not quite conditions, but but some expectations, some kind of rules about how he's meant to live his life. So rule number one is no alcohol. Even while he's in the womb, no alcohol for him. The second one is no unclean food, and and we'll get a little bit more into that later. No alcohol, no unclean food, and no cutting your hair, which seems like a kind of bizarre three rules, but that's what the angels said, so that's what they went with. They, They made sure that he didn't have any alcohol in the womb, he didn't eat any unclean food, um, and, and didn't cut his hair. So, so those are the three rules. And I just want you to keep those in mind because as we go through his story, we're going to jump back to those a couple of times just to check in on him, see how he's going. So um, as we continue, we, we kind of jump from, from this story from before he's born, and then the next chapter begins with him as a fully grown man. So, so we've kind of taken a time jump, and we jump into him um, having this discussion with his parents about this girl that he's interested in. And um, there's a slight problem. He's an Israelite. His family are Israelites. They follow God. The girl he's interested in is a Philistine who does not follow God, does not have Christian values. Not that they had Christian values, but you know. Doesn't have the same values, doesn't follow the same God. In fact, the Philistines worshipped these other gods and, and their worship was kind of crazy wackadoo, and it was just, yeah, there was a lot of wickedness and, and evil going along in, in the Philistine area and with the Philistine people. And so the fact that Samson's kind of taken a shining to this, to this girl, his, his parents aren't really sure about it, but he convinces them that, nah, she's the one for me. And, and the Bible actually kind of endorses it as well. It, it says that God is planning to use this later down the track. So, so the parents go along with it, and, and we jump into chapter 14, verses, I forget, 5 to 9. So, Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. Timnah is the town that this girl is from. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands, as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to, to check out the lion's carcass. And in it, he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Anyone want to guess why he didn't tell them? Turns out that's a bit naughty. <laughs> so... <laughs> The Israelites had all these food laws that, that God had given them. 
They were told what they could eat, what they couldn't eat, how they could cook it, how they couldn't, what they could have it with, all this stuff. And one of the really easy ways for something to become unclean is if it's touched a dead body. That's just a big no-no. And like understanding germs and, and stuff, like that makes sense, I think. So he goes off, he finds this honey in this dead body and he eats it, breaking the food laws. He eats something unclean. So if we jump back to those three rules for his life, middle one's gone. So he's, he's kind of messed up pretty bad there. He's, he's not only breaking the Israelite law, he's breaking these specific rules for his personal life. And so that's just something to keep in mind as, as we continue reading. So there's a, there's a bit of scripture to get through and then I'll make a few more points after that. So we'll keep reading. Now, his father went down to see the woman and there Samson held a feast, as was customary for young men. When the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. That's one each, that's pretty sick. But if you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. They thought it was a pretty good deal. So they said, tell us your riddle, let's hear it. He replied, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. And for three days, they could not give the answer. Now, you guys, kind of seeing a bit more into his personal life than they did, might be kind of guessing what he's getting at there. But what I actually want to focus on is kind of some of the stuff going on in the background, because there's a lot of meaning here that we don't really necessarily understand in, in our context, in our society. And so when we look at this idea, he's, he's gone with his family to Timnah, which is the Philistine town in the Philistine country with the Philistine people worshipping Philistine gods. And all his best mates are back home in Israel. And so he gets there and he's like, yep, I want to marry this girl, but I don't have a best man, I don't have groomsmen, I don't have any family or friends here. And so the bride and her family provide 30 guys to be his companions. 30 Philistine guys with Philistine values, worshipping Philistine gods. You get the idea. So what he's doing is, is he's kind of being surrounded by, by this Philistine culture and, and kind of getting dragged into some Philistine customs. So this wedding feast lasting seven days is something that the Philistines would do. And, and so he, he jumps on board. He says, yep, let's do it. But feasts back then looked a little bit different to feasts nowadays, wedding feasts especially. I mean, Tim and Danielle's wedding feast last night only lasted a few hours. Compared to seven-day wedding feasts, that's... Come on, Tim and Danielle, if you're watching. But... Um, <laughs> So, so this seven-day feast is, is pretty impressive, but they didn't have the kind of variety of sports and games and, and things that we've got today. They didn't have TV to throw on. They couldn't just watch the footy. They had to kind of make their own entertainment happen. They, they couldn't just drive to the city. They're, they're in this little town. And so the Philistine tradition at a wedding feast is to get drunk and share riddles. So even though the Bible doesn't explicitly say that Samson was drinking, it implies it pretty heavily. By the fact that he's with them at the feast, he's sharing riddles with them, it implies 
that he's drinking with them. Now, I can't say for sure that he was. It's, it's not recorded in the Bible. Even if he wasn't, he's already broken one rule, but it's probable that at this point he's two down. And so, he's, he's kind of not doing too well here. And if any of you know the story, you, you kind of might know what's coming up next. As we keep reading, though, actually, no, I cut that bit. So, <laughs> as we keep going through the story, we kind of see that, anyway, he, he, um, he's told this riddle to these guys. They can't figure it out. So, they go to his bride-to-be and kind of say, hey, can you, can you tell us the secret? So she, she goes to Samson and she says, oh, don't you love me? Like, like no one else is, is guessing this riddle, but surely you can tell me. And, and he kind of resists for a little while, but then he gives in and, and he tells her the answer. So she takes the answer back to the guys and the guys take it to him on the, on the last day, just before sunset. It's really dramatic. But Samson isn't really a great loser. He's, he's not too happy about this. So he actually, now that he owes them 30 sets of clothes and 30 sets of linen, like... He's pretty mad about it. So what he does is he walks off to this other town. He kills 30 guys, takes their clothes, brings it back, and then storms off. And so he kind of, maybe a bit of an overreaction, some might say. I mean, I don't know much about serial killers, but 30 seems like a lot. Like, they, they didn't even have anything to do with it. They're just at home with their families, you know, and then Samson walks in and he just takes their clothes and their life. But anyway, so he kind of starts this bit of bad blood between, between him and the Philistines. He, he overreacts, he, he kills some of their people, and then he disappears. So, so they're not really happy with him. And then later on, he comes back, he says, oh, where's my wife? And they say, oh, we, we thought you'd left, like, we thought you didn't like her. Do you want her sister instead? And he's like, oh, now I'm justified. So he goes off and he kills more people. And it's just, Samson, like, he just, he's not very good at controlling his anger, maybe, or I don't know. Anyway, he's, he's not really dealing with this very well. And, and then the Philistines are getting more angry at him for killing more of their people. And, and this whole situation kind of escalates. Anyway, he ends up setting fire to these foxes and the foxes run through their grains and burn all their supplies and stuff. They get really upset, so they send an army after him, and he goes and hides in a cave. So then the Israelites say, okay, we've got this enemy army coming to us because of this one guy. Maybe, maybe we'd be better off just handing him over and staying out of it. So, so they actually say, all right, Philistines, hold your horses. We'll go get him. So they go in, and they kind of confront Samson about what he's been doing, and and he kind of agrees, okay, look, that's fair enough. You can tie me up, hand me over to them. So, so they do. But then as they're handing him over, he, he kind of like breaks free of his, his, his ropes. He picks up a donkey's jawbone and he kills a thousand of them. He kills a thousand Philistine men. Like, I thought 30 was bad. A thousand's probably a bit worse. And so... We're just seeing, like, he's, he's not really doing great at this point. He's broken two of his personal rules. He's not really following Israelite customs, traditions. He's, he doesn't seem to be very interested in God, besides the strength that he gets. And so, he's just running around doing whatever he wants. And then, oh, thank you. Too crackly? All right. So, 
he's just running around doing whatever he wants. And then he, he's just killed a thousand guys. And this is exactly what happens after he's just killed a thousand men. This is what happens as we keep reading. Thank you, Peter. Right. So, because he was very thirsty, because apparently killing a thousand dudes is thirsty work, he cried out to the Lord, You have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi, which means hill, and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. So the spring was called En-Hakor, and it is still there in Lehi. En-Hakor just means spring of the caller. What I want to highlight with this is that he's gone around killing dudes, he's gone around setting fire to stuff, he's not following the Israelite law, he's not that interested in God, he's broken two out of three of his personal laws, probably, at least one, but he calls on the Lord and the Lord answers. And I really want that to sink in. All he does is he just calls on the Lord and the Lord answers. The Lord provides. And so my main point that I want to get at here is that even though Samson isn't doing the right thing, he doesn't hold back from calling on God. He doesn't hold back from turning to him. And I think that's something that we often do, that that when we mess up, we think, oh, okay, well, I can't ask God for that thing I wanted now because, you know, I sinned and I've got to wait for a bit until he forgets maybe and then I'll, then I'll come back. Or, you know, like maybe, you know, my, my friend doesn't know about Jesus, but I've got this area of sin in my life, so I'd feel like a hypocrite sharing. So I'll just wait until I've dealt with that issue before I go and evangelize. Or, or like, I, I want to pray... But I'm not really reading my Bible every day like I, I feel like I should. So, so I don't feel like I know God's will. I don't know what to pray for. I'm just, I'm just going to wait until I've got my life in order. Does this seem familiar to anyone? Does anyone? Yeah, is this? I forget the word. Is this striking any chords? You know, I think we, we so often hold ourselves back from approaching God because of our imperfections. But Samson doesn't. Like, if anyone should, I feel like it should be him. Especially killing a thousand dudes and then being like, hey, I'm thirsty. <laughs> like, really? And I mean, we don't want to treat God like a vending machine, but I think that holding ourselves back from asking of him is probably worse. That as our father, he actually wants us to come to him. He actually already knows that we're messed up. In fact, we're messed up even when we think we're not. So it just doesn't even make any sense to hold back. I, I just want to encourage you guys today. This is one of my main points. Is don't hold back from calling on the Lord. In the middle of your sin, in the middle of your mess, just go to him. That's what he wants you to do. All right, so then... As we continue with, with Samson's story, um, it gets a little, a little worse from there. So, so he, he's killed these thousand guys, he disappears. He's kind of okay for a little while. And, um, 
and he, yeah, he, he leads Israel. We don't get many stories about how he does that. I'm guessing there was a bit of fear involved. Um, just kind of like, all right, this guy's killed a thousand dudes. Maybe we should do what he says. But it doesn't go into that. The, the next time we kind of hear about Samson is he's fallen in love with another chick, another Philistine. And she's trying to kind of figure out how he's so strong. She's trying to work out his secret. She keeps nagging him about it. He kind of gives her these reasons that aren't really true. And she kind of tests it. She tries to get him killed and tied up and, and all this stuff. And, and it doesn't work because he's still got his strength. For some reason, he sticks with her. And eventually, he gives in and, and he tells her. And um, we're just going to read that now, just this last little bit of, of that encounter between him and, and Delilah. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. That's money to pay her. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Now, what I want to point out here is it says his strength left him. And then down the bottom, it says the Lord had left him. And it's not very difficult to put those two together. That as the Lord left him, his strength left him, that that maybe it wasn't really about his hair after all. That as he kind of breaks this third rule for his life, as he kind of becomes fully independent from God, he becomes weak. And so it seems that his independence, you know, his own power, his own, we call it strength, I think that's a bit of a misnomer, when he starts to work in his own power, he is weak. Well, as long as he had even just one of those rules left unbroken, he was strong because, because he was still somewhat reliant on God. And so this might be a simple point. It might be a point you've probably heard before. But I think that strength is actually about relying on God that it's actually about being dependent on him. That so often we try to do things ourselves, thinking, okay, if, if I can be good enough, I'll be strong. If I can deal with that sin myself before I come to God, if I can read my Bible properly before I come to God, if I can sort out those issues in my life, if I can do it in my own power, then I'll be strong enough to go to God. But it doesn't work like that. That we actually need to be brave enough courageous enough to go to God in our weakness before we can be strong. And so I just want to encourage you guys, go to God, don't hold back. 
depend on him because that is strength. We so often feel like relying on other people makes us lesser somehow. But if God is perfect and he's not independent, if he's actually triune, maybe there's something to be said for leaning on someone else. And so just lean on God, rely on him. I want to encourage you, this, this is basically the secret of life, all right? We're about to lean in, all right? This is the secret. You've got the God of the universe knocking on the door of your heart, saying, let me help you. Open up. That's it. Just let God help you. Lean on him, rely on him. No matter what you're facing, whatever struggle, whatever situation, ask God to do it. That's it. It feels like cheating, kind of is let's go (laughs) just go to God with whatever it is and say God help me with this I can't do it alone and you know what when we have that attitude when we start to recognize hey I can go to God with whatever I'm facing and he can help me through it then it actually means that when we are facing struggles it's like man I'm glad I'm not perfect because if I was perfect there'd be no room for God here But as long as I'm imperfect, as long as I fall short, there's actually room for me to rely on my Heavenly Father. And I mean, if I've got a choice between me doing something and God doing something, I don't think I could do it quite as well. Probably. Maybe Josh will get close. But most of us... That's a joke. He's he's a loser as well. But... (laughs) We all are. I'm not being personal. But uh, God can deal with anything we face. And all we need to do is let him. All we need to do is get out of his way. Stop trying to do it in our own power, in our weakness, and start doing it in strength, in his power. Because as long as we're doing things that we can do ourselves, we're doing things weakly. If strength comes from God, then we actually need to step into something we can't do ourselves before we're actually operating in strength. That if you're not failing every now and then, it means you're only ever doing things you can already do. So I want to encourage you this morning, fail sometimes. Because if you're failing occasionally, if you're attempting something where there's a risk of failure, that's the only chance you've got at actually operating in God's strength. Because otherwise you're just doing it in your own weakness. So be free to fail. It's part of being human. It's part of relying on God is sometimes we rely on God for the wrong thing. God, give me a Lamborghini. Whoa! Oh dear, he didn't. That's okay. I misinterpreted his will. That's a learn. Sometimes there's trials. Sometimes there's, I forget the other word, errors. Sometimes there's trial and errors. And so we want to take this trial and error approach sometimes. That when we fail, it means, great, now I know more about God's will than I did. So don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to mess up. Don't be afraid to get it wrong. Just be prepared to go to God when you do. All right, we're almost done. So as we kind of finish Samson's story... We left him in the hands of the Philistines, all tied up and nowhere to go. So they kind of don't really treat him that well. 
they gouge out his eyes, he's blind, he's weak, and they kind of treat him as, as a, almost like a pet. Like they just kind of keep him chained up and then they bring him out sometimes for entertainment. So we're going to read through that. I'm going to go to this screen because I haven't been there in a while. Now, the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate saying, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God saying, our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please God, strengthen me just one more, just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. When Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, Bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. And there's a lot to pull out from just those few verses. I mean, we could look at the fact that they're all celebrating saying, Dagon has delivered our enemy into our hands while God's saying, I've actually got an operative behind enemy lines. We could look at the fact that as he, as he dies, he, he pushes his hands out, kind of resembling Christ. Like, I'm sure there's some, some symbolism there. Even if we go back one slide, sorry, there was something that just stood out to me. Yeah, so he, the reason he's at those pillars at all is actually because of his weakness that he says, let me lean against them. That God actually uses his weakness to position him for God's glory. So don't worry about your weakness. Be bold in it, celebrate it, because that's where we have room for God to come in, to operate in his strength. But what I want to pull out most of all here is that Samson, again, even in this place, even though his motivation is wrong, revenge, he actually turns back to God. He actually says, no, I know that I'm messing up all the time, but I also know that I'm chosen. And so God, just strengthen me once more. Strengthen me once more. And we can do that. Even when we mess up, even when we sin, we can turn right back to God and say, actually, I know I'm chosen. I know what you've said of me. I know you love me. I know you love me now just as much as you ever did. Strengthen me once more. Strengthen me once more, even just for one more moment, and then another, and then another. That, I feel, is how we're meant to live our life. Asking God to give us the strength to get through. Day after day, moment by moment. 
I've got a little bit more time. I might be going over time, just like Mark. So we'll see if I can finish up quick. But a couple of weeks ago, I turned 24. And I'm, yeah, go on, clap for it. No. <laughs> so I was actually, like, within the last two weeks at some point, I remember waking up in the middle of the night, like, straight, have you ever, like, woken up and you're, like, wide awake straight away? It was one of those moments. I'm like, bam, wide awake. And the only thought in my head was, I'm 24, my life is almost over. <laughs> like, I don't have much time left, you know? And, like, you know, who knows? But if we can get that, um, have you guys seen this? It's called a life calendar. Some of you might have seen it. It's 52 boxes, each resembling one week. So 52 weeks, one year by 90 rows. So it's a 90-year life broken down into blocks of one week. So the idea is you take this, you colour it in to your age, and then every week you fill in another box, then another one. Then another one, slowly counting down to your death. And, <laughs> and so I took this, I, I filled in up to 24, um, as, as we'll have in a second. There we go. So that's, that's how far I am. Almost done, right? It's like a little over a quarter. But then I realised that's, that's a 90-year lifespan. I might not live to 90. I mean, the Australian average is, is actually 81-ish for men. So that's, that's down to there. So now it's like almost a third. I'm almost done, right? But the truth is, my dad only made it to 56. I'm almost halfway. But then, truer again is the fact that tomorrow is not promised to me or, or to any of us. So maybe that's all I've got. Maybe I've got one box left. Maybe I've got one week. And I wonder if you had one week left, what would you fill that box with? How would you spend that last week? We know Samson spent it getting revenge and accidentally glorifying God as he did. How would you spend that week? How would you spend your next box on the calendar? Because Jesus had a week left and he knew it. And so he, he had dinner with his friends and he got down on his knees and he washed the feet of the people who were going to leave him, the people who were going to betray him, the people who were going to say they never knew him. And he washed their feet because he wanted to love them. He wanted to spend that last week doing everything he could to show how much he cared. And you know, if Samson had had a week, maybe he would have gone back to his old ways of, of partying. Maybe he would have had another week-long feast, gotten married to someone else. It's tempting to want to fill that week with running around trying to experience as much as we can before we go. But as Christians, we've got all of that to look forward to afterwards. It's not like we're running out of time. We're actually getting closer to heaven. The party that doesn't go for a week, it goes for eternity. 
So we don't need to run around trying to fit in experiences, fit in parties, try to tell our friends that we love them before we go. But maybe we should tell our friends we love them before we go. Maybe especially those who don't know what it is to be loved. If you had one box left, I don't know about you, I'd want to fill it with as much of God as I could because that's what's going to make the most difference. And the truth is, hopefully, we've all got one box left and and then maybe another one after that. Maybe another one after that. Who knows? But we've, we've got the next one to look forward to. So fill it with God. Take that box. Take your next seven days and just cram as much of God's love into it as you can. Let it spill out into the lives of the people around you. Just focus on Him. Spend as much time with Him as you can. Read the Bible imperfectly. Pray imperfectly. Love people with the wrong intentions. Be brave enough to be imperfect enough to work in God's strength. And maybe that little box can affect someone else's. Once that box is filled, look to the next one. Just keep going until you're done. God only knows how many boxes we've got. But I know that the best way to spend them is with Him. So let's pray. And just ask God to, to fill today. Lord, we just invite you in. God, we ask that your presence would be so potent in our lives that it would be so clearly recognizable to others. God, help us be recognizable by the love we have for one another and the love we have for you. Even though it's not perfect, even though we mess up, even though we turn to the wrong things and we wander off on our own little paths, bring us back to you. Lord, encourage us. Give us the courage we need to work in your strength, to be willing to fail. If it means that we're not working in our weakness, Lord, strengthen me once more. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing Gyra. And if you know the lyrics to Gyra, it talks about how God is enough. And I think the beauty of, of that message is that we don't have to be. That as long as we've got God there, it doesn't matter what we bring to the table, even if we bring nothing at all, even if we bring faults and failures and, and sin and, and detriment, even if I bring a bunch of negatives to the table, God is still enough. So as we sing this song, please listen to the lyrics. Recognize what you're singing and let it sink in. Let it melt into your heart because when God is enough, it's so freeing that we can rely fully on Him for all we need. Thanks, team. 
hope you had an encounter with Christ today. And if you did, we'd love to hear from you. So go to our website, life.house, and click on the My Response button. Um, otherwise, we'd love to see you Sunday morning, 10 a.m., uh, here at church, 170 Adelaide Road in Murray Bridge. See you then.